Hello, Joe. How's it going today, Brad? It's uh, going. You know, yeah. Kids are, kids are out of school for Hurricane Watch that's passed, but whatever. So they yeah, no, school man. Monday. Central Florida. I mean, Tampa luckily got spared. Dude, the floods and shit are just ridiculous. Sanibel and all that area got crushed. I mean, just brutal. Brutal. Did you see all those videos of like sharks swimming on the highways and um, manatees going on the sidewalk? Manatees trying to get back to the water? It's fucking horrible. Just horrible. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. Just insanity. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to my buddies in Naples. All of them had like minor damage, but are fine. No electricity, but you know, they're good. Yeah. They got lucky because a couple of them live close to the water, but I guess the, uh, this uh, Pelican Bay shielded and sucked in a lot of the water. But anyway, uh, it's just, it's kind of crazy. I, I, I feel bad for people there because they're going to be, look, I mean, the people that are hit with this are going to get, you know, they're, they're not going to have a home for a long time. Yeah. They're not going to have electricity for a long time. Um, you know, it's just brutal. You know, it's brought out one of my Hurricane Wilma story to people, this sort of chatter about the hurricanes. And also Charlie, which was one of those ones that hit Lauderdale and then dropped down into Miami right uh-huh. before Wilma. And I remember when Wilma was going on, and that was only like Category 3, but it came from the West, if I remember. And I lived on the 22nd floor of this condo tower then. And, and I remember coming out of the, my daughter was like six months old, I think, and coming out of the room. And my wife looks at the dining room chandelier and she's like, why is the chandelier swinging back and forth? Oh, shit. And I look at it and I go, that's uh-uh, not. That's the building. <laughs> oh, God. So, man, you kind of sit there for a second and you're like, built on a slab. Uh, how old is this building? <laughs> you're trying to, this was before all that mess in Surfside last year or whatever and all those. Oh, kind of things. God. Yeah, that's terrifying. But, yeah, man. It's just, it's no fun. And then, the whole landscape gets just sort of shaved clean of everything green and growing. All yep. the palm trees get topped and, and there's just nothing. It looks like a nuclear wasteland for like three months. Yeah. And it takes a least. good couple of years for all that growth to come back. Yeah. And look, I mean, depending on, um, you know, the, the number of houses destroyed, you know, people, people will be without homes for a long time. It's uh, it's brutal because there's not enough contractors and then they'll, you know, all yeah. the scammy contractors will come in and screw people over and take their insurance checks and fuck them over, which happens every time. But anyway, um, you know, uh, the people I know are not dramatically impacted, but uh, there are people that will be. And that's so Chuck and all those guys are good. They're all good. Cool. Um, Bitcoin bouncing around again. Look, I mean, you know, not much a change. We're just chopping sideways here. 1300 for ETH and 19,000 for Bitcoin and it's kind of boring. Yeah. Well, look, you know, it looks the Europe, the UK situation looks to pretty much at least stabilized for a while. And, and, you know, I saw like the Nikkei futures are off. I think there was pretty much, I think they got cratered last night too, or, or, you know, in their last session, us and Europe were all off NASDAQ getting pounded harder than the rest. But I look at Bitcoin and it's like, you know, off three quarters of a percent, you know, right in line with say NYSE or something. And right. And so I'm kind of like, and I didn't actually, I didn't look at ETH today, so I don't know what's going on there, but you know, I'm like, there is chatter. Like I, I saw a stable that circle Dorsey deal. We'll talk about that later, but in there, there was some stable coin stuff. And I started thinking that, and it talked about um, Argentina and Turkey, mm-hmm. that there was a lot of people buying dollar peg stable coins because of DXY appreciation and because the Turkish lira is just getting pounded and Argentina's, you know, always got their, 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 their problems with inflation. And I started thinking, is that right? Is that going on? And, you know, so I think you're kind of, what I'm getting at is maybe we're starting to kind of finally transition into risk off. Well, for BTC and say stables, at least Um, looks encouraging what I'm seeing so far. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I re- I posted this thread. I'll put it in the show notes. We don't have to go through it, but <clears throat> it's a, a oil and energy uh, analyst uh, basically claiming that we've uh, hit peak oil. Um, yeah. And uh, really interesting insights and thread. Um, things I, I you know I have zero clue about energy and production and all of that. But this is pretty pretty fascinating. I mean, he's basically making a bet that that we've hit peak oil and and we'll hit the downward slide after this. So 
It's interesting. So he's saying, well, it's, I can't remember the peak oil guys have been around. Well, that term's been around for a while. I, I always heard it in the context of Saudi Arabia and that yeah, so many so, of their oil fields are like, they're really having to pump a shitload of water in there and to get the oil out. It's yeah. not easy to extract. Is that is essentially that we've reached? We, yeah, essentially. Well, it's not just Saudi Arabia, it's everywhere. Essentially, mm. we've reached like the the top level of the production that we can do. And from now on, our ability to get more out will slow, you know, it'll decrease. Um, and there will be less and less oil available. Now, well, we're not out of oil, but, um, and, and he says in the thing that, you know, since the 1920s, people have been making these peak oil predictions, but it, he goes through and makes a pretty strong case that in this case that we actually probably have because the, mm -hmm. the there's not much more to get. So now he doesn't include in that um, he doesn't include in that natural gas um, and other, you know, oil related products, mm -hmm. but um, does say that he thinks for oil's perspective, it's, it's well, the hit the peak. You know, remember we were talking about that Hertz EV thing, the electric chargers yeah. yesterday and how yeah. BP is the one rolling out the electric vehicle charger system, you know, a big British petroleum, I think is what BP stands for. And yeah, so I wonder if this kind of, I mean, I'm sure these guys, you know, the big oil companies, I'm sure they got teams of MBAs and economists and strategists trying to figure out when's the right time to shift capital into renewables and trying to transition into the other energy products. It's since this is higher margin or, or low margin oil extraction versus the easy stuff, you know, coming out, if you got to do any work, it's just pure oil, margins are high. This is probably going to economically incentivize those big oil companies to start moving more resources toward to start shifting yep. to be able to capture higher margin returns in new yep. energy products. So this is great. Totally agree. I mean, yeah, from my I, perspective. I, yeah, I think so as well. And and the interesting thing is, is for the first time in history, uh, solar energy is the cheapest form of energy in the United States right now. So, um, you know, that that that's because of government incentives and all the research and development work that's gone into it. But, um, it's, um, you know, look, things are shifting and I, yeah. I think we're going to see more of that. I so. didn't see that coming that fast. This, the, 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 um, the solar stuff, because there was always, I remember when there was a big solar initiative in DC and I want to say maybe 2010 or something like that, or 2012. And, you know, I'm like, I always thought, God, this is way too expensive. But then, you know, my buddy who just built a new house in D.C., he put a $30,000 rig on top of his roof. And I don't remember. It generates a huge amount of megawatts of stuff. Right. And he's selling it back to the nice. DC power yeah. company. Yeah. And you can basically expense, straight line expense, the whole 30 grand plus installation through tax credits and things like that. And then you got revenue coming in yeah. from your panels. Um, in the form of no power bill, but a check back. And I yep. think you get another $5,000 credit per year from, what are they called? Pepco, I think is the power company there, um, to incentivize you further. So to me, that just drives the change. Yeah, it's Those amazing. kinds of things. Yeah. It says Saudi is producing at capacity now. And he said, I should have sold my oil and gas according to Joe's crypto profit taking schedule. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it applies everywhere, whether you're on the craps table, the equities market, the bond market, anything with investing and returns. You know, I just have learned that you got to take profits. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And in, the, in our Reddit, uh, we're starting to get a few posts. Uh, oh, Shizzy posted up his top tens. Um, Let me there. see where, where was Shizzy's here. Let me get Shizzy's up. Uh, uh, Sean said anything that's not a shit coin on coin market cap, which is basically anything except uh, Monero. And Bitcoin. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. His list was going to be Bitcoin, 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 yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and then maybe three little Bitcoin DeFi plays. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Shizzy's list, Matic, BizDev is amazing. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Adam, interoperability. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm becoming more and more of a fan there. Uh, Lido, Lido, uh, leveraged ETH play because they're core. They have, of course, uh, I think Lido, I saw the other days, uh, and Coinbase combined are 41% of all ETH staking. Wow. Um, Curve has the best DAO and consistent production. I agree. Yearn, uh, Andre, interesting. Um, is, well, he still, that Andre... is he still actively involved? Yeah. I don't, Cronje, I don't right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's still actively involved or not, but maybe he is. 
Uh, Spirit version two is awesome. It absolutely is awesome. Phantom, super fast chain. Yeah. Enjoy. Helium, peer-to-peer -peer internet. Uh, FTT, Sam Bankman, um, and Aptos, which I thought was interesting because he's calling it the next cycles Solana. Uh, so Shizzy, I like these picks. Um, I, uh, your bottom three are a little borderline for me, but you know, um, I think Helium has huge potential as a business. Um, Sam Bankman, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Joe, you had them in a list yeah. as well. Is this his long list or his blue chip list? You know, he put it under the shill, your favorite projects in deep. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. That's fine. So I think he's calling these his, his favorite projects, yeah. not necessarily his investment. So his list. top 10. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Aptos, I really find interesting. I'm, I'm, I don't curious. know enough about it. Well, that's the, I think that's the guys that came out of Facebook that were working on Facebook's chain. Oh. And, you know, so the Facebook's meta thing. Yeah. Yeah. James Strickland says, I don't think Andre is active anymore with urine developed it, but launched and left to the community. I believe. Yeah. I don't think he's, I don't think he's building any more strategies that he used to because afterwards he was building strategies for it. And, and I'm not sure he is anymore. Um, and you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm just not that big a fan of Andre. So, uh, after the way he treated phantom. So, um, although, uh, I have a little bit of a, well, I, I have learned that he's actually still, um, occasionally active in the phantom foundation. No so, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Enough. Um, let's see, Joe, you posted on now, the blue, look, blue chips list. You know, people were coming into this 42 views. I was like pretty surprised. Um, yeah. but look, this is, you know, I have a hard time trying to put a list together. It's my top 10 versus my top 10 kind of like blue chips. And so if I'm, and so blue chips to me means higher market cap. Okay. And so less risky, uh, you know, I mean, that's the way I would think of it. Equities. I'm trying to do that here. And so I picked those now, not BTC and ETH because we all know them. And of course, you know, I mean, BNB, obviously dot and link to me are like massive infrastructure plays. I traded them out a lot. They always go to like, 25 $35 a share in the in the bulls. BNB, we know where that goes. Matic, we all know we love Matic because of BD and cheap transactions, layer two, couple with ETH. I mean, you name it, it's got everything. Great tech. Yeah, Uniswap. I just, you know, I sometimes, you know, there's regulation coming in this space, but they survive it either way. Um, I wasn't too worried. They got, what, 17 billion in TVL or something or Monster or something. Like, if you're going to pick one, might as well pick that. And then FTT, Sam, of course, uh, more money coming in, more money for portfolio companies buying opportunistically. That's kind of the Buffett way. So he, he's got it going on. Now, Cake was a little tricky. I just picked it because it's the overseas chain, basically, for Africa, Third World, South Asia. Um, they use that a lot. Pancake on on yeah, BNB. pancake swap. Yeah, Sorry, um, yes, pan um, not FTT. Excuse me, um, pancake swap. BNB chain, right? Yeah. Right. So I went for that. I thought maybe I'm doubling down on being Binance too much, but what the well, frick? They're the I, juggernaut. Well, look, you've got for BNB, you have the centralized exchange driving value as well as the decentralized uh, chain uh, driving mm -hmm. value, and then for pancake swap, I mean, look, the number one conglomeration or collection of of retail consumer grade traders is on BNB uh, chain. So, and Pancake is the number one protocol on that chain. So it makes total sense to me. Okay. I, I, it wouldn't have popped into my head, but it actually, uh, it actually makes sense. Now, I don't know how much they're printing, how inflationary it is, um, but um, yeah. it makes sense because they keep building there. So I, I can definitely see that one. And of course, Ave, you know, I'm getting ready to pitch Ave to, the British prime minister of where you go get some yield with that 65 B, <laughs> but you know, it's like, that's the blue chip there. I love Ave. Right. Um, solid platform all over the chains curve. You guys know, I always like curve. Sometimes I, I don't really use it a lot. And sometimes I go, God, how do people figure this shit out? But then you look at your TVL and you're like, how do you not, this is the perfect play for institutionals when they put an institutional front end on that thing. So, yeah. yeah. and then Adam to me, you know, we already got, we already own BTC and ETH. Okay. So chains, um, we're taking Matic for layer two. And then, um, and then of course, you know, the BNB chain, and then we roll on down and now we got Cosmos. And so I'm kind of like, Hmm, 
I'm going to make a bet on that just over the other ones, over Avalanche or Solana or even my fave FTM, just because I think Blue Chippy, that might be where they go. And, you know, not Algo. And I have another thing up here on all the chains so you can see how I, the 10 I think are the best. Um, but that was the one I decided to add over like urine or others. Um, and I know it's a little bit on the border, but maybe I was just getting pumped so much marketing information in Twitter. That I was like, these guys got it going on. Let's add them. Yeah. Well, and then you did. So I haven't posted any of mine in yet, but I'm going to try to do that later this evening. Uh, so we can chat a little bit about them tomorrow, but on chains, you have Matic, Adam, Avalanche, Solana, Phantom, uh, Optimism, uh, Metis, Arbitrum, Near, and Algo. And and those are all, I mean, you know. I don't know who of... else I would sub in there. I mean, no. you know, I'm not a big Algo fan, but look, you know, it's the mooch. They're connected into the regulated capital world. There's a play here of some kind with institutionals. Right. Near, A16, all the other backing they've got. Um, they got nothing going on right now, but maybe they will in three to five years. But they got a $3.5 billion valuation, which to me seems extremely excessive. But at the same time, I didn't know who else to put in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. When you look at the list, um, you know, look at, at after you hit the, after you've hit the top 10, Optimism, Polygon, Soligon, Arbitron. Kronos is interesting. Oh yeah. You know, that. um, that's, that's actually interesting. Now this, holy shit. See, DeFi chain stays up here, which is a, another Bitcoin layer to side chain play. No, uh, I didn't know play. that. Okay. But, um, I think most of their, yeah, most of their TVL is in the two platforms that they created for the chain, right? There are no other protocols in there with TVL. Um, so, or, or I should be fair, or DeFi Llama isn't tracking them yet. Um, but it's still a substantial chunk of money in this, in this fucking chain, $453 million if nothing else. Um, there may be some investment opportunities over there to be looking at. And they're number 11 in all chain TVL. So, yeah, I mean, again, look, that may be all propped up by a, van a venture capitalist piling the money in there, but you know, still. Well, and the thing is at the top near like two or three is Tron. And I, you know, I stay away from them just because we know that's all Justin's money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's not really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like Gnosis, wasn't Gnosis doing a big airdrop or something? Recently? Well, so Gnosis, yeah, well, I've got that open. Hold on. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. No, that's good. That's good. That's fine. Let me uh, pull that up. Growing so, up uh, segways like softballs. I think if you've ever had uh, a Gnosis uh, safe wallet um, that uh, okay. you can, so this is n not the chain. This is the smart contracts that make up the safe wallet, which is the number one a uh, multi-sig wallet used by protocols and projects in crypto. Um, and so if you've had one, you may be eligible for an airdrop uh, from them uh, because they are now going to a fully decentralized DAO and or redundant. Uh, they're going to become a DAO, uh, have become a DAO. And um, I got to tell you from a, it's interesting because they do have their own chain and it is supposedly high performance and, works great but they've never gotten a ton of traction with it uh let me see if it's even where's the are they on the DeFi llama list yeah here it is number 20 226 million in tvl um but the the interesting thing here is is that i, I like everything that gnosis does gnosis built uh CalSwap and oh. um and deployed that as its own separate Dallin project. Um, they were the ones that had the idea and concept and wrote about putting a DEX together, an AMM-based DEX, the first concepts of it, and chose not to launch it because they saw what the problem would be with MEV and front-running, and they didn't want to put a platform out to market that would be susceptible to that because they didn't want to harm their users. So they waited, and CalSwap is their answer to solving the MEV problem which to me is an awesome um, insights into kind of the ethos of the team, right? They're, they're not going, they don't want to release shit that's going to hurt people. They don't want to release shit that's bad. They are securing almost every treasury in DeFi with their Gnosis safe wallet. So I wouldn't, um, I would keep an eye on Gnosis chain, right? I, I think, what's, here's what's interesting though. 
when you have the number one wallet of every treasury and relationships with every major protocol in DeFi, why haven't you been able to get them to move to your chain? Now, maybe Gnosis, I don't even know if Gnosis chain is EVM compatible, but um, <laughs> it's interesting to me that that they have not been able to uh, secure more volume and more uh, protocols coming onto the chain. But if you had a safe wallet at any point, set, you were thinking about setting up a DAO or whatever, and you did need transactions, uh, you may be eligible for this airdrop. Uh, one of the things to know is that um, important info, the safe token is initially non-transferable, meaning it cannot be traded. Uh, this functionality can be unlocked by the DAO in the future, though. So they're trying to make sure that the token doesn't get dumped out of the gate. So you may have a ton of uh, their safe token sitting in your wallet, but you can't get to it. Uh, I mean, you can't do anything with it um, until the DAO votes to allow trading. So they can un they can basically unlock on a vesting schedule if they want everybody. Yeah, and that's, that's what I think would be smart, right? That is like, smart. Yeah, let's, um, let's do the vesting schedule. Let's not have a massive dump on people. And again, yeah, you know, it speaks to the fact that this is not a, a cash grab play. Nothing this this group does is is that style. They're very oriented to a better ecosystem and they create awesome projects. So uh, Niblet says, wonder why Crow doesn't get more love. Fiat on ramp, Fiat charge card, centralized exchange, real world incentives like free Spotify and a token. That's a lot of utility. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there and it's funny because I don't give it nearly the same respect or attention. I should say not respect that I give BNB chain, but they have been building there and they've obviously built this, you know, look, the activity on this chain, they're number nine. There's 876 million in TVL and there are 81 protocols on the chain. So I think yeah, this might good, look a, a closer, deserve a closer look. You know, there's another one I think too. We ought to look at, start looking more at Cronus and looking more at Kava number 15. No, um, I haven't ever looked at Kava. That's the one I only learned about it because of SIF chain. Because uh -huh. I'm looking at protocols and I'm like, oh shit, there's another kind of Dexy play over here and it's Kava. <laughs> it's like 50 times bigger. Um, so I'm like, mm, maybe that's the one to look at. But this, they got something going on. They're on Cosmos. Um, but yeah, oh, let's start taking more into both of those. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Definitely, definitely agree. Um, the CFTC decided to serve the Oki DAO by posting in an online discussion forum. Um, so if you were involved in Ukidao, um, you need to consult an attorney because if the judge upholds this method of serving, um, then in, I think it was 24 days, um, they can get a default judgment against all of the members who voted in governance and you're screwed. So, um, I would highly recommend getting an attorney, um, Gabriel again of, um, I always forget. He's general counsel at Delphi Digital. I have much respect for him. I follow him. He's in my crypto legal list. Um, he's basically saying, look, if you need help um, finding outside counsel um, and you want to reach out, even anonymous, uh, these folks are going to be happy to help you. So I'll put this link yeah. in the I'll put this link in the show notes. Um, but you you can't just ignore this shit. Now, if you think you're completely anonymized, go for it. But I would still talk to an attorney. Um, because... yeah, I don't look, there's so much body of law about how you have, just look at that, like Texas attorney general, a couple days, what's his name, Paxton or something. Yeah. He was like fleeing his property in a truck with his wife to avoid being served on, you know, one of those various yeah. lawsuit things he's involved in. And so, you know, they can't get him until he's physically served. I just don't see how this holds up, yeah. um, on appeals. I don't so, know. um, because this is just ridiculous. So that means we can go down to the Starbucks put a note on the wall that says, exactly. Hey, I'm serving everybody who uses Apple pay in here. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. You well, and it's it. just like, look, if you, you like, you were just talking about the guy fleeing, somebody comes to your door to serve you, but nobody answers the fucking door. You haven't been served legally. Right. So how the hell can be posting in a forum be, I, I mean, it's bad enough that we're posting serving people via wallet messages, which also is not, legit in my mind but the idea that you could just post in an open forum and claim that everyone has been served is just stupid when you look at the way we do it in the physical world in the physical world you have to be given the document it, yeah it, there is no way around that and so to claim that you were served when you weren't actually physically given the document is just 
stupid. Well, it's like you can't serve via, you know, go some legacy tech by fax. You can't serve via email um, unless you rep and warranty in some prosecutor lawyers that you'll accept that or the right. lawyers will accept right. it. But in the initial summons or service, you not, doesn't fly. you got to get them personally. And so there are very specific reasons for that, of which I do not know. <laughs> but, you know, it's in-law. So to me, it's another thing. We'll sort it out in court. But, you know, um, I just don't see how it goes through the whole appeals cycle that way. Speaking, speaking of being served, he hasn't been served yet. Uh, Sifu's back, and he's got a money market protocol. He's basically forked uh, a, a component of Ave uh, lending venture. Um, and um, what does it say? Scroll up one. Yep. What is a few DeFi players? Oh, irrepressible. irrepressible. I thought they said irresponsible. I'm like, yeah. what? He just right. keeps going. I mean, he's got his own token Sifu that he put out that um, supposedly counts for um, a share of the investments he makes. Um, you get, you know, revenue stream from it. And I was tempted, but I didn't buy any um, because I think the guy has a great investment mind. Now, do I think he could rug? Yeah, but we he's doxed, right? We, we know who the hell he is and he certainly doesn't want the legal trouble. And frankly, um, I, I think he does a pretty good job. So anyway, um, as of the writing of this article, he was at $55.5 million. The project is called UWU Lend. He forked from Ave, but he did make some changes uh, on it. Um, he said he's changed the tokenomics and reward structure, added long tail collaterals, collaterals, and will be implementing vaults as collateral as well. Um, and he's accepting collateral not available on other lending protocols. So basically, he's creating this lending protocol that will take other collateral for lending that you wouldn't find on the big blue chips, right? So higher risk, but um, it's interesting. So yeah. um, they're going to be borrowing against yield-bearing bearing vaults. So if you're people that have, have money in a vault and you got derivative tokens, you can be able to borrow against them. You know what we should do? We should hook up Seafood with Liz Truss. <laughs> That's good. Solve um, that problem. Lickety split, man. <laughs> it's not a DAO. He makes that clear and not subject to governance friction or slow results. In other words, Sifu's running the whole fucking show. If you don't like Sifu, don't put your money in here, right? Um, he knows have, what he's doing, man. I tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to, to play around a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm intrigued. Yeah, me too. Me too. So UWU is the is the protocol. I'll put a link in here to this. Um, you know, there are people that don't like him. There was new information I got out of this. Um, that, Ox Maki. That he, uh, yeah, Zero X Maki from Sushi Swap, the original. I mean, yeah. the, 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 he took over as chef after after the. Big Did he game. get hurt by seafood? No, he hurt? just doesn't like him. He thinks he's because um, of the quadriga. Yeah, because of the quadriga shit. Um, like, but, you know, we talked about him before. Yeah. We give people second chances. I think his only stuff was when he was younger, right? That was there the criminal was, stuff? No, there was one other project that I found in here that he... Um... People oh, lost that was money. it. I didn't know he was involved in cover and ruler protocols. Um, mm. And the protocols were shut down. But I don't know the details on that. Anyway, um, I'm thinking about playing there because I, I, I don't know. He, did, he, made that, he made money managing the treasury. Uh, for over, time, right? At, at, for time at yeah. Wonderland. And so I I don't know. I, I'm inclined to just, you know, put a little there and see what happens. So. Well, and also, look, these kind of projects, you know, I mean, this is what I call kind of a lottery ticket project. If he gets traction, you know, remember, he's kind of in that network of a whole bunch of other people. If they see it going, people are going to start putting money into this. Yeah, I agree. And so, you know, maybe it's the one you, you throw some discretionary into it that you can lose. And then when it makes a run, you get out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I might play like that too, like I did with Elk and a few others back, you know, Poly Doge and all those friggin' nags that could never get across the finish line. Yeah. 16 million token supply, 25% pre-sale vested, six months cliff, 25% team vested, 50% community emission drops. Emissions can be slowed, sped up, or directed to the LP if market conditions permit. Um, so... You know, I, I it's a submission schedule over four years. Um, you know, I, I definitely want to, I definitely going to take a deeper look. Okay, a couple I, of things. Pull back to that vesting for a second. I just want to yep. ask you something. Look, with this, uh, the 25% pre sale vested six month cliff, 
the one question I would have there is at the end of that cliff, does it then go monthly for a couple of years or is it just a full cliff? Well, like, you can see in the table, um, oh. like the pink here, that's the investor schedule. Okay. So it looks like 24 months is the biggest. The, the, the month biggest to month. Invest. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The there biggest. you go. So good, two years is when the biggest good, chunk hits. And that's true pick. for all players, uh, team investors and community are all getting increased. Now the community has a bigger increase at the end of four years uh, in terms of what gets emitted. But um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a six cliff and then another year and a half of monthly. Yep. Yeah, good call there, Brad. Yeah. So, you know, look, I, Again, I um, I, I'm inclined to give this a shot. So, so what is it going to do? Uh, is it's it a just lending. like another a, little mini Ave, like a Geist or something like that. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's a lending yeah. protocol, but the, you know, it seems like he's focused on you know higher risk uh, lending collateral and um, you know just being a lending protocol. And look, you know, they have he has experience with the. Um, Oh, what's the lending protocol? What's Danielle's lending protocol? Now I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, Danielle has a landing protocol in that whole group of Wonderland and everything else, and it's done very well. And so Sifu was involved with that. And so, you know, they have experience with building out these protocols. So I, look, I, it could be a total wash, could be a total mess, could be a total collapse, have cascading liquidations, all that good shit. But at the end of the day, um, I, I, for some reason, I want to put money in. Here. Okay, so let's have another category on the Reddit called like um, lottery picks. Oh, I like that because like moonshots to me is something where we don't have any controversy. Yeah, <laughs> so like, yeah, that's good. I this like is that. a little bit on the edge. Uh, we'll call this one lottery picks. So we we'll have I a list of it. ten lottery picks, and we'll start adding people it. like that to it. That's okay? perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna have fun with that list. That's good. All be. right. Hey, uh, this whole stand proposal for reversible theory, and we talked about it last week. Um, re reversible Ethereum transactions uh, divides the crypto community. I don't know who the fuck is for this because frankly, it's just lunatic level. Now, I can see, uh, you know, banks implementing this as their token for their exchanges and use with retail customers. And that's fine. I don't give a shit if that's what they want to use. But at the end of the day, this is like so fraught with danger at so many levels um, with the fact that these tokens could have been transferred three times and get recalled that there's, there's just all kinds of bad shit tied into this and it's just not the way to do it. But, uh, our man zero X Fubar, um, does an awesome job in this piece. I'm going to put the link yeah. in the show notes, uh, saying why this is stupid. And, and essentially, you know, it's just a bad idea. And that finality is such a critical component of everything we do in crypto, knowing that things are not reversible. That's the whole key, right? So, um, 45 million Americans can't get a credit score. No, no. Cause they haven't been banked. They haven't done anything. They have, they wow. Haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, what, are you on the previous article that you had up? I just wanted to, that second line below the headline on the previous article. I would really be curious, can Ethereum ward off hacks and exploits without compromising on its commitment to decentralization? No. I'm curious what Sean thinks of that statement. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what Niblitz is saying, a mutable yeah. blockchain. And this is just stupid shit. I get why yeah. they're trying to solve the problem, but this is not the way to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It's just bad news. And he says the, the best solution is escrow. If you're concerned about getting what you are paying for, whatever it is you're putting money into, then use an escrow service. Yeah. That, that's the solution, right? And we can do all kinds of really cool shit to integrate, you know, Amazon delivery notifications or other things to, uh, to make that safer. But this idea that, that, um, that you're going to have reversible token types uh, on the system is just bad. So anyway, read Fubar's yeah. piece. It's it's really well done. Uh, on another note, uh, I, so I I tweeted I, I retweeted this tweet from him, and I basically said I think that uh, I, I think that Fubar is actually not one person. It's a collective of at least three people because I don't know where the fuck this guy sleeps. I, I don't know what he yeah, eats. He's constantly in there because he is constantly producing, constantly building. On Canto, he built Forte Swap. On uh, he's constantly writing long articles. He's constantly contributing to other projects. And now the other yesterday, he comes out with a system to protect users from uh, taking airdrops. 
especially in the NFT space, right? Because there is this problem when mm -hmm. you get an airdrop that you are giving control over or access to your wallet. And that's how they've cleaned out some of these NFT hacks have happened is because they post a fake airdrop, you connect your wallet, you give it permissions, and then they clean out your wallet, right? Well, everyone says, well, just create a new wallet for the airdrops. Well, the problem is a lot of these airdrops require you to prove that you own yep. a board ape or that you've done this or done that and have transacted in this way. So you can't create a new wallet because you've got to use the old wallet in order to do it. So he and a group of folks, it wasn't just him, uh, have actually created a system called Delegate Cash that I, I just saw this today uh, about 20 minutes before the show. So I haven't taken a deep dive into the details, but um, it allows you to prove your transaction history and ownership and connectivity of a cold wallet versus a hot wallet without exposing what's in the existing wallet. So that's amazing. Yeah, they've created a way to do that, make it so you could connect. There's actually, I think, an EIP proposed, and and I think it was approved uh, to make this happen. So thank you, Fubar. Uh, you're always out there uh, working to make the space better, and uh, this sounds like a really great uh, uh, project. I'll take a deeper look at it, try to understand it better, but just wanted to get it out there because if you're um, out there thinking about clicking that uh, that link to uh, uh, take an airdrop and you're not sure if it's legit or not, this will be a solution to that. So That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, I was always, you know, on OpenSea, you go into that hidden folder and you see all these NFTs that people have just sent you. Yeah. And I could see how people go in and click on that stuff. Yeah, of course. And interact. Of course. Yeah. Well, but, you and, know. And the way they get people is they go into the Discord, they hack a Discord, and then they have admin rights, and then they post, hey, new airdrop from Bored Apes, right? And people go, oh, fuck, cool, something else. It'll be worth a lot of money. They click it, they give wallet permissions, and everything's gone. on your wallet. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, what did he call it? He, he calls it Metaverse Russian Roulette. <laughs> so, you know, you're sitting there trying to decide whether you want to click that link or not. Um, and I think it applies to regular token airdrops as well. But anyway, they are, um, they have uh, come up with a solution and they're, uh, I, I believe it's available now. Okay, let's see. Hold on. What, what are they doing? After delegate cash, you use a connect call wallet, delegate cash, use delegate hot wallet, hot wallet claims airdrop, but no rug call wallet, never touch a sketchy site. There you go. It's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Cold wallet never touches sketchy site. Yep. I mean, that's just friggin' beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's really smart. And it's, it's a problem, so I'm glad they've come up with this. Did this just come out like an hour ago, you said, or 20 minutes? Uh, no, or? no, no. Last night, I think he put okay. this out. Yeah, uh, let me see. Yeah, 16 hours ago. Okay. So. Well, uh, that's the one to put in. Um, now, that one I wouldn't put lottery pick. I might put that in potential moonshots. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know if he's going to have a token around it. He probably isn't. It's probably just mm -hmm. a, 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 pro a technology play. Uh, this was interesting. This little summary of, um, the merge, uh, from proof of work to proof of stake. Uh, there were a couple of things in here, highlights from metrics DAO. Um, uh, here's where I found the Lido finance and Coinbase together now validating more than 41% of all new blocks. Is Lido um, finance a U.S. registered corporation? Do you know, like do Coinbase? Not know. Do not know. Because remember that argument about the node look geolocation? That's what I was kind of yeah, talking about. Yeah, well, okay. and that's probably where that number is coming from, those two companies, because they mm -hmm. are the, the largest stakers in the world. Um, metrics Dow staking rewards, a high APY could drive mainstream adoption was the idea. The expectation was 7 to 8%. So far, post-merge, the largest providers, Lido, Coinbase, Kraken, and Binance, are earning 5 to 5.5%. It's still higher than pre-merge, but... It's not what people were hoping for, expecting. That, though, could change over time. Um, but look, five to five and a, here's, here's what I keep reminding people. If you're staking ETH, you, it's, it, you're getting more ETH. But when you're in the middle of a down market at $1,300 per ETH, if you truly believe that ETH can be worth $10,000, $20,000, flip Bitcoin, whatever you believe <laughs> about the protocol, then, then staking ETH, and earning 5% more annually and compounding it is an awesome way to make money in the long term if you believe that ETH will do great. So from my perspective, this is a smart strategy, right? Uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is trying to set up uh, our mean reversion bots to buy ETH. And um, when a trade doesn't 
close into the profit, take profit level you want, automate it po posting into stake, liquid staking, right? So take it off the exchange, put it into liquid staking. It's like, okay, so it, it, it creates almost a no-lose trading strategy, right? You're taking profits on your on your quick trades using the mean reversion indicator, but when the mint when the mean when the price bleeds out because ETH is still going down, you take that dip and you take the ETH you bought and you go stake it and you earn five to five and a half percent. And on the upswing of ETH, you're, it pays off, right? So anyway. Um, While you talk, I'm just trying to figure out what you're earning on ETH on Aave. I was just trying to see if they're, okay, here's some, wait, what is this? Borrow APY, borrowed supply APY. Yeah, the, the the stuff on Ave is is pretty much two percent and lower, except for UST. Yeah, yeah. Eight point four four. Yeah, two and a half percent for Curve, six and a half percent for Convex, seven point yeah, nine for synthetic. So yeah, yeah. This is this is um. You get a higher return there. Is what you're talking yeah. about. That's what I was getting at. So yeah. Look at, and look. The risk now is is regulator risk or hacking risk. Um, I would go to Rockapool or other decentralized staking providers, um, so that you can lessen some of that risk. But then there's smart contract risk. So look, this is not a guaranteed thing. This is not financial advice. But from my perspective, if you personally believe that ETH is a strong investment play because it has a future at ten thousand or five thousand or twenty thousand earning five to five and a half percent more and more staking that within a liquid staking protocol is to me a smart move. If you believe that thesis uh, validator rewards for proposing pre-merge validators were earning 0.03 ETH. Now post merge merge, they're earning 0.08 ETH per uh, proposing blocks. Um, That's a good thing. Yeah. Block times, proof of work, 13 second block intervals, but involves some randomness as miners race to produce blocks. Block times in proof of stake are much more consistent and generally about 12 seconds. So I guess it's good to have good consistent timing on block. Um, Ethnet issuance. There was much debate about whether ETH would become deflationary. This largely depends on the burn rate from usage, outpacing proof of stake issuance. Uh, I don't think we've had the deflationary impact yet. Yeah, no, I think I, we had a chart a few weeks ago we yeah. saw that, or maybe a week that just showed it wasn't happening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, oh, hey, this look, is the finality know, matters thing we talked about. One of the about. things that was good, the block time stuff, 12 seconds. You know, I'm not the big tech expert here, but I'm curious what in this space, but what is like, say, the block time on, say, Phantom? Or what the equivalent metric, or however you measure across change, or what would it be on AVAX, and what is it know, on Polygon? Time comparisons. I mean, just twelve seconds still seem kind of slow to me. Well, it's never going to be fast. Oh, it's only going to be fast through layer two, through rollups, etc. Right, uh, right. You know, I mean, that that's just. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to look and see if we can find a comparison. I'm sure yeah. somebody has a list. Somebody will know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought this was interesting. Um, Lagarde mentions case of Doquan warranting need for regulation. And, and uh, you know, he basically says, still don't think people realize how much damage Terra and Doquan has done to crypto. My reply was, yes, absolutely, they've done it damage, but the, but the, there was worse damage. And the worst damage was that the cascading impact of this because of all the people that blindly followed what Doquan was doing, especially the big players the Celsius, the Voyager, et cetera. The institutional fuck, investors, exactly. they know better. <laughs> they knew better. They knew exactly what this fucking thing was. And, <laughs> and you know, that they're the, they're, it would have been bad enough what Doquan did and it would have harmed retail investors and the cultists that believed in him. But it could have been much less impactful on the entire space and this down market we're in had the big guys not also gone along for the stupidity. Yeah, no, I completely. I was just trying to find that tweet to like it, but um, you know, it amazes me how you know I learned very early on, you know, when I used to have all these people up on pedestals like VCs and investment bankers and stuff like that. You know, when you're a kid, I mean, teens, early twenties, I'm talking about, and and then you really realize that they're not any smarter <laughs> than you. Yep. And they all put their pay in. This is what I tell clients all the time with VCs. Look, man, these guys put the, well, this is probably a bad example, but I say something like they put their pants on one leg at a time too. Exactly. And I say the day 
you know, their biggest fear is making a mistake. So they're not going to swing for the fences. They're going to more try to figure out what's the consensus play. So they're kind of dumb um, in that they can be uh, – I'm sorry. I just – I haven't really – I mean, they're smart ones. Don't get me wrong. No, I get it. Is, I totally get it. The entrepreneur pitching them nine out of ten times is smarter than they oh, are. Yeah. Okay? And so to me, it's like you have to just understand that you're the smartest one in the room when you go into those guys usually. So it's about showing them how your smarts are going to make them money. Yeah. And, and that's all it is. They're lemmings, right? Yeah. I mean, you heard the story. Look, when a, when a round is building up and so-and-so yeah. respected VC has already decided to dive in, everybody assumes, uh, the other VCs all assume, number one, it's good. He's in. So I'm in no matter what, right? They don't even care. And number two, they assume due diligence has been done. But as we know that the people that were engaged with Do Kwan and Anchor, um, that Anchor and the protocol were actually not doing any diligence, like none. They like, were just fumbling in. Handling over hundreds of millions of dollars without any understanding of what was going on underneath. Well, um, when you don't well, have a compliance department, you don't have an investment committee, it's one person sitting there pushing a button or two out of three on a multi-sig wallet pushing a button. Yeah. You know, you can FOMO pretty easy. It's pretty easy to get sucked into stuff. Exactly. And, and exactly. that's what that's the shame here is that it's supposedly these smart guys that were the ones that came in and went for the big yield. Now, of course, what's so hysterical is I think it was only 20% yield. So it's not like the shit we were looking at last summer. Exactly. You know, so you kind of go, wow, oh, only 20. Yeah. But then, you know, they managed to still, you know, it kind of reminds me of these deals that I was always pitching in the past when you're going in with these IRRs 25 years ago, uh, internal rate of return, like an ROI thing. And you would, you'd have to target the IRR, make the num the financial model, hit an IRR, usually by manipulating the cost of capital. And to hit their sweet spot. Because if they saw 12% IRR, they're like, oh my God, this looks risky. Why would we do this? It's 12% IRR. And it's like, well, that's kind of why you do it because it's higher return, risk, reward. Right. And you, you know what they want to see is like then seven to eight. So right. every financial model, you just structured it so it would get to a seven to eight IRR because you're just, it's art. You're just trying to figure it out. And, and you throw that out and it gets through that filter yep. of like, oh, this looks like a legit deal. It's 7% yeah, IRR. Right. Because nobody and, else can do more than this. So why yeah. would they be able to? So yeah, exactly. maybe when these guys were all looking at Doquan's stuff and they're like, look, this looks legit. It's 20%, you know, our APY or whatever, or APR. And everybody else is doing 80,000%. Yep. Um, this is the legit one. And so then they all go piling in. I mean, there's just so many things here. I, I, I just want to see the book on this come out, you yeah. know, the forensic backstory, because it just kind of shows like even with Madoff, which I've kind of been comparing to this in my own mind a lot. You know, he just consistently hit his 7% return to all his investors forever. Um, jury's out as to when he exactly started using new money to pay old money. I kind of think it was closer to 2008. So I think for the first 15 years or so, he was probably running right. But everybody then, you know, his nickname was, you know, the Jewish T-bill. You know, so everybody from Temple would invest with him and all of the family. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, but you could trust him. It's Bernie. You know, and so he played on all of his his community yeah. that trusted him because he shared their beliefs or they thought he did. Yeah. And in the end, who did he fuck over? All of them. Exactly. So, you know, it kind of anybody gets to this point. I talked about this before where all of a sudden you're getting ready to teeter over into like blatantly getting ready to death spiral out because it's not going to last to save your ass. you got to stop at that point. Yep. And you got to call the board and bonus your ass on the way out the door, but get lawyers and just fess up, man. Don't go down that path or you go to jail from yeah, there. You go. Niblet's always coming in with the good one. He's hilarious, dude. His yeah, man, I love it. Niblet says it's like Matt, Matt off running layman. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly enough, yesterday we were talking about Chainlink uh, the other day. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, yesterday I interviewed a project called Teller. Um, and I had never heard of Teller before, but Teller is a competitor to Chainlink and Ooh. they are a decentralized Oracle system. So it's a system of people who are reporters and checkers or auditors of data. 
And it is a totally decentralized system of people supplying the data that developers need for their oracles in uh, systems. And anybody can come in and request any kind of data they want. They put up money to stake it. Reporters put up money to provide the data. If their data is found to be wrong by people that are spot checking, then they lose their staked money. Entire system of staking tokens. It's really fascinating. So number one, that, that episode's coming out next Tuesday. Um, but this was really fascinating. In doing my research with them, um, I discovered that they started doing this experiment where they posted like the boring ass developer and marketing calls that they're doing. Like, like, so this is, this is one of them just talking through where they are on the status of, of particular development tasks and projects. Oh, cool. The other one, the other one was really fascinating because I wanted to be on this call. It was a conference room meeting, but they were, sitting there, a bunch of devs trying to decide how to properly market their protocol because they have been building this since 2019. Like, and they are like so under the radar. Liquidity uses them as their oracles um, really? and a couple of other projects, but they haven't really hit massive adoption yet. And so they were having this entire conversation about how to brand it, how to market it, how to get to market. I so wanted to jump in on the conversation. I wasn't watching it live, so I couldn't. But um, I think this is a really fascinating experience to kind of... Um, uh, open the door to every discussion that you're having about your project and building and marketing. They are completely decentralizing it. They're they're radically decentralizing. So they're releasing and locking up the code. Nobody can touch it again. Um, really fascinating project. Check out Teller and then go to their YouTube channel and check out these these videos because they're just kind of interesting to me that that they're having these just open kind of mundane and interesting conversations at the same time that usually don't happen out in the open. So. Anyway, I'm just putting it out right now for you. I cool, tagged you guys. So I just tweeted it out. Um, you posted this one, Joe. Which one is that? Uh, if your currency was rapidly depreciating, what would you buy to protect your purchasing power? The answer for Euro, I think you did this one. Euro and pound holders has overwhelmingly been Bitcoin. Oh, no, I think I did this one. No, this, this is, is noticeable yeah. because we see the same trend happen see the same trend in previous crash crises in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. So this is a thread about the fact that Europeans are piling in to buy uh, Bitcoin right now um, and seeing it as a haven. Uh, I'm sure gold as well, but. Um, well, you know, this is, it feeds on that same theme of the stable coins in, in Turkey and Argentina and right. people are buying them as a hedge against uh, currency devaluation. You know, don't forget dollars up 16% this year. So if you, you basically made 16% on your money, your cash holdings right now. Right, That's right. purchasing power. So they're going there. So I see this. I saw the, the other one with, with Endorsey's circle article. And then I've heard about it in other areas too. And I'm kind of starting to see that people are starting to look at it like, where else am I going to go? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, this is good. I, I Look, we've always said that a crisis, a, a, an economic crisis could actually uh, benefit crypto in general. Um, I think we're going to hopefully if, if look, I think the crises are coming, whether we whether we like it or not. So hopefully the beneficiary of that is crypto, DeFi and Bitcoin. Well, well look, this happens. is not to me if, from a trade fi perspective. It's this is not a bad thing. I mean, if I'm a trade fi guy and, you know, I'm sort of partly that, uh, you know, I'm all about acceleration of capital and capital velocity <sighs> into good projects. So yep. if you have if you can when your country's in turmoil for whatever reason, war, stupid economic government, whatever, and you have a place you can get to, a safe haven fast and like instantly, basically, right? Um, you know, versus going to find a brick of gold or buy some diamonds or whatever you're going to do that are so hard to then sell. I mean, gold easier, of course, but, you know, crypto instantly. To me, I think people are starting to figure this out. And I think it's a good thing for all markets because it just – creates a natural kind of safety mechanism and other stabilization for market turmoil. Yeah, so the more of that, it's like they're all kind of oracles. Okay. Yep. We talk about rapid decentralization of oracles. We want like decentralization of safe havens, you know, all over the place dispersed so that, yep. you know, your capital isn't at risk other than for a, your own making a stupid decision. Yep, you know, absolutely. it's not going to get eroded because of your, 
government making a stupid mis- decision. Yeah. I want to cover this list tomorrow's show. ETH Online finalists and their hackathon because there's some really fascinating projects in that. So I will go over these tomorrow during the show because cool. there's some really cool projects in this thread. But there was one more piece of macro that fucking blew me away, Joe, because you and I grew up in an era when everyone was terrified yeah. the Japanese were taking over the United States, right? They were car companies, manufacturing appliances, uh, stereos, everything was, oh my God, look how efficient and how powerful the Japanese are. In 1999, more than half of the world's most 89. valuable companies, uh, 89, more than half the world's most valuable companies were Japanese. Today, none, none of the top 20, or, I'm sorry, top 10 are Japanese companies. Okay, I got a joke. I got to tell a joke. Uh, so it, you know what is, the response was? Are you going to get was? us canceled? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to be that. Okay. We stick Gavin on him. You guys know Gavin. Remember Gavin? Yeah, yeah. He was ran the Japan desk for Treasury when this was all bubbling oh, up. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he was there for when it all hit the shitter. And he was in their Ministry of Finance working in Tokyo for a year. And they were always trying to fix this problem. And this is, well, no, this is actually late 90s at this point. And so they'd all be sitting there working all night. He'd be leaving at five. And he'd be looking at them going, they're like, how can we fix it? He's like, you can't. You're fucked. So he would just leave. But it was, this is when also we looked at, I was asking him, is this true? Is this true? And he's like, I don't think so. He goes, look, the whole the price of every piece of Tokyo real estate, just Tokyo, is worth more than all the real estate in the in all the United States of America. And I'm like, well, that's bullshit. So this can't be true. <laughs> and so, you know, next thing you know, boom. Yeah. They fall on their ass. But it's just fascinating to me, though. I mean, the mm-hmm. level of dominance they had, dude, they had like massive, massive dominance into our markets and into the world. And so gone. what did they do with it? They went in and bought the Chrysler building at 20% yeah, over market exactly. from, you know, the, some, you know, New York real estate guys. And then they yeah. sold it back to them 40% less than they bought it. They yeah. bought a bunch of land in Pebble beach on the beach to do condos without checking the law in California that says you can't build on the beach. <laughs> so they sold that at like 60% below what they bought it. They bought movie studios, had to dump them. I mean, they were flying in, crates of Beaujolais Nouveau from France in, in 747s to, I mean, they were the high life at that point. Yeah, totally. And so then they got a little high on their own supply. They started looking for yield. They started getting into some shit like <laughs> Doquan type shit for 1989. Next thing oh. you know, what a 30 year slide, basically. I mean, they're just coming out of it now, I think. It's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Look, I mean, Shizzy. Oh, by the way, Shizzy says, thanks, great Shizzy. show today, guys. I can only listen today. Hey, Shizzy, thanks so much, man. We appreciate hearing that. And then Niblet says, is it that they fell or they stagnated when everyone else climbed? I think it's that they fell. I mean, they've had massive financial problems in that country. For yeah. Remember, they, their big problem was, and this is a lot of lessons from this were applied to the 2008 situation was that they didn't flood the market with liquidity when they st- went into a deflationary cycle. And that's what killed them. Right. So if you wonder why everybody in Washington is so freaked out about deflation and inflation is like, oh, well, we got to fix it. It's because this is the case study for what you do. Yeah. Um, and they did not flood the market with liquidity at that point when they had all of it. Yep. And because they're very sound business people, that kind of shit is, you know, it just sounds crazy when you're talking to like a regular person. Um, and so they erred, but you know, High finance is that it's esoteric investments that you don't understand. It's derivatives. It's, you know, all kinds of wound up, bound, structured package shit that you can never decipher. That's why they all trust each other. Yeah, absolutely. So so a lot of it, but you know, I think that it was that they had some export issues. They were an export driven economy as well. And of course, China came online and replaced them as the factory of the world. That's, that's probably the biggest. That's probably the biggest impact. You're right. So um, anyway, but anyhow, we'll leave the rest for tomorrow. We've got uh, Jack Dorsey with Circle. We got China's big fund corruption. We've got the brain getting rewired. Um, we've got that least from ETH Global. And oh, let me close with this. This will be fun. Can you hear that? No. Ah. Uh, there might be a mute on there. Oh no, it's unmuted. Yeah. Oh wait a minute. Well wait wait. Um. Yeah. No, I should hear it over here. Yeah, I got you that should one hear on. it over there. Why is it not? Why isn't it coming through? No, it's yeah. just the same day as in 08. Yeah. S&P at 9.50. Shit, I You can't remember. hear it? No. Ah, bummer. But I'm looking at it. My, 
my loop. Oh yeah, she working. used to look. Oh, never mind. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Maria. <laughs> a buddy of mine was. Uh, he was really friends. Who was the guy that used to be on that show with her? Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Mark, Mark uh, Haynes, maybe or something. He went to school with a buddy of mine that was. Uh, she, this guy, Shep. I was sitting there drinking, talking to him when he was in the basement of the World Trade Center after 9-11. His wow. girlfriend was one of my drinking buddies in D.C. And so I was talking to him when he was walking around down there on the day of. Oh, shit. And, uh, you know, just crazy shit to see this stuff, man. Yeah, this was crazy. I mean, I, I, I'd kind of forgotten how how big it was at that time and how insane it was, but that's, this is a great clip. I'll put it in the show notes. All yeah, right, let's wrap it up. I got shit to do. Uh, All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Shizzy. Thank you, Niblets. Thank you, James. Everyone who's participated today and helped out, we love having you here. Please join us on uh, Reddit, our r slash Mission DeFi Reddit, and post in your thoughts, ideas, feedback, et cetera. We love hearing from you. If you get a chance, please just take a couple of minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It does help. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and click the little bell so you get notified when we put out uh, new episodes of this show and the Mission DeFi show. New episode with Liquidy coming out tomorrow for Mission DeFi and Tuesday for Teller, the decentralized oracle. Trying to get on a schedule of Tuesdays and Fridays, Joe. So we'll see if I'm able to keep that up. Um, that's it, Joe. That's all I Tuesdays got. Tuesdays and Fridays for what? Day. I'm sorry? Releasing Mission DeFi episodes. Oh, got it. Perfect. Yeah, no, I sent one of your episodes out today to- um, I saw that. Genomics? Yes. You know, just because that- that topic, I'm, I'm not so sure about the NFT thing, but um, it, you know, how that it will be perceived. But I like the idea of storing, having the genomic data somehow tied to a key in an NFT or something like that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I believe in genetic data privacy, and everybody else should too, because it's a type of thing like an Uber side side gig you can do where you can earn money from it. So right. why just give it away to 23andMe and all those people and have them sell it? You should be selling it. So exactly. check out Genomes Dial, check out Encryption, check out a few other ones uh, that were went under, but like Shavom, Nebula, Luna, lots of good docs out there if you really want to understand this, how this genetic data privacy feeds into the $30 trillion personalized medicine market as yep. forecast by Goldman Sachs. Yep. So it's key. It's data and it's going to be used for health and it needs to be in our individual hands. Love it. Say goodbye. Thank Joe. you. Bye. You're supposed to say 